Hello again, Backwoods Theology. It's good to have you joining with us once again. We hope you enjoyed our last episode, Answering Questions. And um, we're actually going to be answering another question in this podcast. Uh, and that is a question that came up in our last episode. Um, the statement was made uh, by me that I believed <laughs> the first public offering of the kingdom of God, the new birth, was actually in John chapter number two and not John chapter number three. And so question came up about that. So we all decided that this would be a good podcast to, to be able to biblically determine what exactly does the miracle mean in John chapter number two? Is Jesus just turning one liquid into another liquid? Is that what he's doing? Is he just, you know, here's the one who's going to raise people from the dead and uh, cure leprosy. So he he needed to warm up. This is a warm-up miracle, I guess. Um, but it's, it is sad because the power of John chapter number two, the vast majority, I would say, of reasons why Christians go to John two is to legitimize drinking alcohol. Uh, Jesus made it. We ought to be able to drink it. That's not the purpose of our podcast. I just hate it that uh, that that is probably what this passage is most used for, and I, I, I hate it that that has happened. So this podcast is not about alcohol, good or bad. Uh, this podcast is going to be about, is this miracle m- mean more than just simply, as it came up, we heard someone say, Jesus turned water into wine so the party could keep going, is, and really, this first miracle, we've turned it into that level of, you know, Shallow. Uh, shallowness. Shallow. This is a completely shallow miracle where we completely lose the awesomeness of what Jesus is doing here. What he is doing here is far more than just turning one beverage into another. Before we get started, do you all want to say anything? I want to, as, as a, like going into the miracle so that we, we understand that there is gravity to it. Yes. At the end of John's gospel, I'll just read it, John 21, 24. Is that where you are? You thinking the same thing, Josh? No, I'm actually in John 20. Okay, but John 21, the last two verses of John's gospel, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And look at verse 25, it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written Amen. So we would understand that Jesus did way more uh, miracles than what's recorded. So what is recorded for us has a reason for it being recorded more than even just the miracle itself, but what's being communicated and taught through the miracle. So my is John 20. Okay. Okay. It says in John 20 verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, before I read 31, obviously the Gospel of John is unique of the four Gospels. They're all unique. Um, John, to me, is the most unique. Um, John is the only Gospel that records the I Ams. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the bread of life. And there's seven of them, and only John records them. Of all the miracles, I mean, obviously, we know John, we just read it. 
in, in chapter 20 and 21, there's a lot of miracles our mm-hmm. Lord did, right? Mm-hmm. John specifically only records seven. No more, no less. Only seven miracles. Verse 31 of John 20 tells us why he recorded just those seven. He says, now, I mean, when I say he recorded, we know this is the inspiration. This is God's word. Okay, this isn't John's words. But you get my point. John 20, verse 31. But these are written. why, Why are these? Why are these seven? That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That's good. What is the point of these seven miracles, John? Why, why did you only, again, I know it's the Holy Spirit, but you get my point, so that we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Th- these are written so for salvation. Mm-hmm. These are written for, can I say it, kingdom of God. So um, every miracle you look at in the Gospel of John is going to be pointed to the spiritual kingdom of the new birth that believing ye might have life through his name. They're mm-hmm. written for our salvation. It's good stuff. So when you read John 2, it's not so we can go out and have a party and drink some beer. Right? Correct. So right. you can continue, Brother Wiley. I just wanted to share mine because <laughs> well, I don't get to talk much. <laughs> um, they asked me to go ahead and kind of coordinate this discussion about... Uh, the miracle of the water into wine. We know that from John chapter number two, and we're not going to highlight every single because I, I, I want to, um, you know, you want to get off on every rabbit trail you can, but we just do not have the time to do that today. The Bible says in the third day, this is verse one, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And Right off the bat, I want to say, in the third day of what? Uh, It's not in the third day of the marriage in Cana. That's what I've heard folks say. Well, that's not what the Bible says. But anyway, we don't have time to go into that. I I just That's the way that I read the Word of God. I just have these questions that I want to answer biblically. In the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So we see that... Uh, Christ is come to this marriage. Um, he, he and his disciples are called. And the Bible says in verse 3, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Um, I believe the they there is Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus and his disciples came to the marriage and they wanted wine, um, His mother said, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, and here's very interesting. We just read over this quickly, but there's two major things that we see in Christ's answer. Uh, The mother of Jesus comes unto unto him and says, they have no wine. And look at Christ's response. The first response is what he called her. Jesus never called Mary mother. He never, uh, he always called her woman. Um, now, I have a mother, and I'll see my mother today. I'm not going to call her woman. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to call her. Try. Uh, that's a, my that's mother. A, that's a pro tip right there. <laughs> pro tip. My mother might smack me if I, if I did that. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. But notice he called her woman. What have I to do with thee? Now, in the last phrase of the verse, the context, 
Now, in Christianity today, we hate context because it limits us to what the Bible can say. We want to just, you know, I've heard the expression, when the Word of God says what you want it to say, stop reading mm. and just walk away. Yeah. But context dictates the meaning for us. And verse number four sets the context for this miracle. Jesus says, mine hour is not yet come. What does he mean by that? What, what does he mean, mine hour is not yet come? Does, is Jesus saying, um, well, I'm not supposed to be doing miracles yet? Is he saying, my earthly ministry is not supposed to start yet? What is he referring to by this phrase, mine hour is not yet come? Well, I'm going to let the guys handle this, but this is a, you know, this is a reference to time, obviously. Um, Christ will reference different types of time. You know, it will be the day of the Lord or the day of Christ. But there's also a segment of time which Christ references, and that is mine hour. So either one of you, when Jesus references his hour, what is being referred to here? Well, I would go, um, here's, you know, for a listener, what, what you should do is when you come across something like this is you should um, maybe get a hold of a concordance or some kind of Bible tool and search for that word hour, mm -hmm. and you're going to want to see what, what it is that Jesus, uh, how he uses that term hour, uh, what he speaks of about uh, an hour or that hour, the hour. And so we'll give an example, Matthew 26, verse 45. So this is on, so we know in John 2, he says, mine hour is not yet come. And then in Matthew 26, 45, this is on the other end of his three and a half year ministry, when he asks his disciples to come and to pray with him. And we know they sleep and he wakes them and they sleep again. In Matthew 26, 45, then cometh he to his disciples, this is, you know, that Garden of Gethsemane praying time, he saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest, behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So you have, on the front end of, that, of his ministry, first miracle recorded, mine hour is, is not yet come, and then on the back end of his three and a half year ministry, he says, the hour is at hand, which means within reach, close. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. That's where I go first. What would you say, Josh? I would say in John 12, verse number 23, Jesus says, the Bible says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then if you continue over to John 17, verse number 1, this is the beginning of the Christ of Christ's high priestly prayer. Before you go there, yes, sir. Just four verses later, after you reference yes, in sir. John twelve twenty three and yep. verse twenty seven, I think it's the same 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 instance. My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Same yes. same context, same yes. passage. He uses that word hour three times. So, That's exactly right. Go ahead. And then in John 17, verse 1, Jesus in his prayer, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven, said, Father, the hour is come. 
glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And mm-hmm. we know contextually he's speaking of the crucifixion of, right. of himself. Right. So um, when you read in John 2, woman, what have I to do with thee? Which is, that's another wonderful, <laughs> wonderful study. What have I to do with thee? I don't believe he's saying, what's the matter with you? Mom. Mom. Right. right. What have I to do with thee? I, I studied that one through with scripture one time. And the conclusion that I believe the scriptures are pointing out, he's telling her, I have nothing to teach you. Hmm. You get this. You're understand. Mary, did you know? Yeah, I believe she did. <laughs> okay, sorry, Mark. Um, it's a it's a beautiful little Christmas song, but I believe she knew. I hate it. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's my mom's favorite, so I can't argue too much because mom really wants me to sing it all the time. And you don't call her woman? And I don't call her woman. <laughs> but I believe Jesus is pointing out, Mary, you know, woman, what have I to do with thee? There's nothing there for you. You're getting this. Because he says, mine hour, again, he's going back to himself and his crucifixion, because the day with the Lord, the day of the Lord, rather, is the uh, kingdom of heaven, the reigning of Christ, whereas the hour of the Lord is different than the day. And then he says, and rather, I don't want to get ahead of you, Brother Wiley, but scripture says in verse five, does mom ignore him? Because it says, his mother saith unto the servant. So Jesus says his statement, and Mary has no response back to Jesus. She just looks at the other guys. I don't believe it's a disrespectful. I don't believe it's any of that. I believe she's doing exactly what Jesus was pointing out. There's nothing more for me to show you. You get this. So, um, again, John 21, or in John 20, why is this miracle recorded? Not so we can say, let's go out and have a beer. This miracle is recorded so we can know this is salvation. It's teaching, it's teaching salvation. So I'm going to give it back to you, Brother Wiley. So I believe <clears throat> verse 4 sets the context for this miracle. Context is important. Yes. Um, so it, it tells me two things. One, it tells me that this miracle has something to do with the death of Christ. Something It's going to teach me something about the death of Christ. It's not just turning one liquid into another. It's not turning one beverage into another. It's going to teach me something about the death of Christ. And point number two, the, the focus is on the wine. So this wine somehow is going to teach me about the death of Christ. So this is a significant, significant miracle. This is why I believe that this is uh, obviously the death of the testator brings about the new birth. And this is why I believe this is going to teach us of the new birth. So here is our context. So if you, I have three C's here for you, I guess I I do like to alliterate. So the context of the miracle is the wine will teach of the death of Christ. My second C is, okay, what is the content? What, what is being said here? The Bible says in verse number six, and there were set there six water pots of stone. Now, let me make a note with you. These aren't just ordinary water pots. Notice what the Bible tells us about these water pots. They were after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. 
So we'll come back to this, but these are particular water pots. This is not water for drinking. This is not drinking water. These are water pots <clears throat> which held the water that the Jews would perform their ceremonial cleansing. That's what it means after the manner of, of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins would you, apiece. Would you connect that to when the Pharisees criticized Jesus? Yes. I was going to bring that up. Yes. Okay. What were one of the major criticisms that the Pharisees had of Christ and his disciples? That they ate with unwashed, unwashed hands. hands. And this goes back to this Pharisaical law that they added unto the word of God and this is how they would cleanse this is how they would purify themselves was with this water so christ is not filling their drinking pots with wine this is not water which they drank this was special water let's continue to read jesus saith unto them fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Now, we'll, we can see, we're not denying he turned it into wine. That's exactly what the Bible says. I simply believe what it says. Now, a future podcast would be, well, is that the wine that we understand today? Um, that's an, at another time. We don't have time to get into that today. But look at verse 11. This beginning of miracles, this beginning of miracles, that's a significant phrase. That's right. So this beginning of miracles, which there are seven in John, is something as superficial. Now, now let me say, I can't turn one liquid into another. I can't do that. <laughs> so please don't think that I'm thinking that this is some small. But to turn it into that's all it is, yeah. so that the party could continue so that there could be wine to drink and no one would leave upset, that that's all this meant, I think is just a tragedy to the scriptures. And what we have to do is, is uh, a future podcast, we're going to talk about study aids and different things that we can do to help study the Bible. I like studying the Bible. I like studying the word by studying its words. I'm a big word studier. So when I study the word wine in reference to the teachings of the Lord Jesus himself, I find something very interesting. Every time Christ references wine in his teaching, he is teaching of the new birth. Let's look at some examples. Turn to Luke 5. Luke chapter 5, he mentions wine. He's clearly teaching of the new birth. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 36 through the end of the chapter, and he spake also a parable unto them, no man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old, if otherwise, then both the new making of rent and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. Then look at the last three verses. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else. Now, why would a man not do that? Else? The new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new. For he saith, 
The old is better. See, they like that old <laughs> stuff that can stand outside the jug. <laughs> Christ is ov- obviously referring here to making a distinction between the Old and the New Testament, that Christ has come with this new wine. But notice the concern in verse 37. Why doesn't he just want to abolish the old? Why doesn't he... Well, that's Matthew 5, 17, is it not? I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. Uh, So the concern for the old, but verse 39 is speaking to those Jews saying, hey, I like the old. I'm not interested in this new birth. I I like the old. So any discussion on this that Christ is clearly his wine here? He isn't isn't giving preservation techniques Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. That his teaching is more than just, okay... uh, the way you store your... He's not giving storage analogies. He's mm-hmm. actually teaching them of the new birth. Mm-hmm. Any discussion on this before we go to the next one? Well, I mean, I, I'm going back to even the vessels, the, the wash pots that are, that are used. Um, you know, there's six of them. I mean, the Bible gives us these details. There's six mm-hmm. of them. We're also told that they're made of stone which I find interesting because they're not made out of clay. They're not made, but in order to be made out of stone, they would have had to have been hewn out. Fashioned by hands. Right. And so they're, they're definitely, they're special and they would have been, everybody would have known what they were used for. And Mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't have an answer for this. I'm just wondering out loud. I just wonder the servants of that feast when he, when he commanded them to take those and use... Because here's the thing, okay? If they were out of wine, that means that they had wine, which means they had vessels in which the wine was, which means he could have made use of the vessels in which the wine already was. He didn't was. put them in the wine vats. Right. He put them in the he water pots. He puts them in the water pots, which... Which were never intended used for drinking. for wine. They're water pots. That's right. And they're also not used for drinking. Correct. Right. Right. So I'm going to, you know, we're working through a podcast real time on this. There's a lot of things to chew on. And how about the number of them? I don't don't sometimes get into the numerology of the Bible. But the number six is written for a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I believe the number of six is the number of man. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you've got the number of man. Man has fashioned these with his own hands. These are... Mm -hmm. For what purpose? Purification. For purification right. of Purifying the Jews, which goes, a, which is was the tradition of which men. is the tradition of men, according yep. to what is that Mark seven? Yeah. Um, so that sets the context for us, and yeah. Any other discussion about that before? Well, how about Luke chapter ten? The right. next time Jesus mentions wine is in Luke ten, which also speaks of the new birth. This is another parable. This is the parable of uh, what we would call the Good Samaritan. Although I don't know if the word good appears anywhere. Maybe it does. We call him the Good Samaritan, but I don't believe the word good appears anywhere there. Anyway, we understand what we're talking about. Um, let's, let's refresh ourselves. How many times have you heard... Just, I can't believe this priest and this Levite just walked by, just didn't help this man. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is a parable. The priest and the Levite represent the law. 
the law did exactly to this man what the law was supposed to do. The law condemns. The law can only condemn. The Lord, uh, the law cannot. So in this parable, it is right that the priest and the Levite walked by. There's nothing that the law can do for this man. But a certain Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, Here's another great word to study. Every time the word compassion is used in the Gospels, it is always referring to Christ. Always. He had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil, which I believe represents the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. and wine, which I believe represents the new birth through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I believe here as well, Christ's teaching on wine is teaching about um, the new birth, the new birth, that this wine is a symbol. Uh, We won't go through all the... How about, can I go to one more? Um, This is one that we're going to address Acts 2 at some point. New wine, this is actually the last time the phrase new wine is given. Every other time in the Bible, it's just referred to as wine. It doesn't use the word new. This is the final time in the scriptures that I can find where the phrase new wine appears. Mm -hmm. This is when the apostles are speaking in tongues at Pentecost The Bible says, verse 13, others mocking, that's the key, mocking, that word mocking, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Well, this reference to new wine, are they just saying, oh, these guys have drank too much? No, these men are mocking. I believe they're mocking the teachings of Christ. This is that new wine that he spoke of. This is that new wine that he taught us of. These men are full of that. So they're not, I don't believe here that they're mocking the fact. Now I understand Peter's answer in verse 14. I believe where he addresses the fact about the hour of, or is it verse 15? 15, The hour of the day. No, we don't do our drinking until after the... But I believe he was addressing that not all of them were mocking. He was addressing the crowd as a whole because I believe only in verse 13, those who were mocking had their minds upon the teachings of Christ. Everyone else was just, they didn't know what was going on. on. Yeah. So could we we suggest that perhaps there was a a double meaning in what the mockers were saying? You know, um, you know, mocking, because the miracle of Pentecost was a miracle of speech, right? It was a miracle of tongues. So these men are speaking, and, and we associate drunkenness with a, a change in the speech. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if, if not both are going on. Sure. You know, they're mocking and also, you know, because Peter's not ignorant um, and, and knows what they're being accused of. But I can definitely see the angle of some of them mocking the teachings of I, Christ. I believe to say that it's absolutely free of mocking. Sure. That they are mocking, oh, this must be this new wine mm-hmm. that he was mm-hmm. teaching us of. Um, so that's the last time that you uh, see the phrase new wine in the text. You know, uh, Christ references, he doesn't use the word wine, he actually uses fruit of the vine. Mm-hmm. 
in in Matthew 26 where he where he says um, this cup is the New Testament um, where we learn there that Christ's blood is that which is going to bring about the new birth it's going to bring about the the New Testament that Christ's teaching of wine uh, the only other two times I think in the Gospels where wine is mentioned where Christ mentions it when he mentions uh, John the Baptist, that he came drinking neither wine nor strong drink. The only other time wine is mentioned is when Christ was on the cross and they tried to give it to him. Um, there again, teaching about I, I'm a, what greater teaching can you have of the new birth and the actual crucifixion the cross, of the yeah, Lord right. Jesus Christ. Right. So going back to John chapter number two. Can I add one more? Sure. Uh, Mark 14, 25. Very, this is this is at the at the Last Supper as we always call it. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine, okay, until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So not the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God. So the teaching, the new wine, okay, the newness, and you mentioned already several times whenever the new wine or the teaching of the new wine, we're always referring to kingdom of God, not kingdom of heaven. So just thought that was interesting. It's, you also have in that verse, so you have a that day reference. It is a that day reference, okay. yes. Until that day mm -hmm. uh, that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Is that a reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb? What do you think? Right, what is he referring to specifically? When he says that day. When he in that verse, mm -hmm. when he makes his statement, "I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day," what is he speaking of? What event is he speaking of in the future? And I'm asking. I'm not. Well, we know he's not saying that hour. Sure. So I believe he's referring to that day. Mm -hmm. But I also believe, like we've mentioned several times, this is the this is the teaching of both kingdoms in one verse. Okay. Where he's showing the kingdom of heaven, that's the day. It's going to be. When he says that day, I believe that, that that's a clear teaching through Scripture about the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Well, uh, see, it's the same, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. Well, I believe that's, again, we're taking, like you mentioned uh, previously, the clear teachings. Right. So the unclear, what do we got to do? Well, I believe it's both kingdoms are showing, are mm -hmm. showing, are being shown in this verse so do you think sometimes i wonder if that day is like that day refers to a whole host of events that are all happening if not concurrently but all close together for example um well a day with the lord is as a thousand years. sure so sure. a lot of events could take place in god's eyes okay. to call it that day but we would say once the rapture happens See, here's the thing. We, it's, it's not just the rapture of the church. It is the resurrection. That's right. The rapture, is, the rapture is God's answer to the question, what happens to living saints at the first resurrection? Right? Hmm. Because when Christ comes for his church, he's not just going to rapture out living Believers, well, who goes first? The right, so it is the resurrection. The dead in Christ rise first. Correct. That's right. Okay, so the rapture is really when we think about the rapture, we think about all you know, all of the people. Okay, I'm I'm not a betting man, but I'm willing to bet there are a lot more saints in the ground than above it. Hmm. And so when that resurrection happens, okay, the who is left alive? 
of the church will be raptured out. But that sets in motion that that 70th week of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so we're going to go with the Lord. I believe at that point you have the judgment seat of Christ take place, yep. right? You also would have to have the marriage supper of the Lamb take place. So, so I heard someone say about, you know, they're, they're so strong local church that uh, the church will even be local at the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Because we'll all be there with him. Do you think that, and I'm just wondering out loud, if in the passage you've mentioned, he's referring to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When, when the kingdom of God, mm. which is spiritual, when we're all together in heaven, marriage supper of the Lamb, do you think he's referring to that? That's my question. <laughs> and you can say yes, no. I, I don't know. No. Okay, I no. have my answer. Okay. No, and, too, and I'll because my, I, I'll give you my biblical I, reason. I believe okay. the marriage supper of the Lamb is after the tribulation. Okay, when everybody's together. I believe the marriage supper of the Lamb is for Israel, not for the church. Okay. okay. I believe we're called to the marriage supper. The Bible says that in Revelation 19. Okay. We're the we're the ones that are called to the supper, but I believe the marriage supper is for Israel. Okay. So. Okay. So. So he is speaking of the marriage so, supper where Israel. You want me to show you what I... Yeah, I do. Specifically. I, be, I believe it is a day. Okay. Because they'll say that day. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Matthew... Uh, let's see. Sorry. How do we get here from John 2? I think this it's is fun. You know, he's taking Okay, Matthew goes. 26, 29. Okay. Until that day when I drink it new with you, new with you in my Father's kingdom. Where are you, Matthew? That's Matthew twenty six twenty nine. Okay. I, I think you just read that, or I read Mark. You mar- read the Mark. I read the Mark one. Okay. Well, I believe the answer to that is that speaking of the day when Israel, as a nation, believes on the kingdom of God, hmm. and that's Zechariah twelve. I believe Zechariah thirteen one is the answer to that day when he drinks it new with them. That's when they believe on him. The that Bible the says, fountain. In that day, there shall be a fountain. Yes. Okay. Opened to a specific group of people. Opened to the house of David, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for a particular purpose, for sin and for uncleanness. Mm. Okay. So Zechariah thirteen one, I believe that is the day. That as a nation, Israel believes upon him. The blood is made available. It's not a fountain. I do not believe this is a fountain of water. The fountain of water, there is a fountain of water opened uh, unto them. Um, But here, this is a fountain that is opened unto them specifically for sin and for uncleanness. We see that this verse directly comes after, notice the events, Zechariah 12, 10, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says this, Jesus speaks of it in Matthew 24. He spoke it in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, anybody who mourns, the lost man who mourns for his wife is going to be comforted. He's... The Sermon on the Mount is instruction for the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. For the kingdom, yeah. They are going to enter into a time of mourning. That's Matthew 24, where the Bible says, all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. I uh, 
And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. We crucified our Messiah. They've been physically redeemed. They've been delivered from the enemy, and then they realize who their Redeemer is. And they enter into mourning. And verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 is this deep mourning that they enter into. But the Bible says in Revelation 21, we make this about the church, but it's not, and God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. He's going to end their mourning. Mm -hmm. David spoke of that. You've turned my mourning into dancing, Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, e Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. Mm -hmm. Well, he's going to end their mourning. And how does he end it? They're going to believe on him. And the blood is going to be made available to them and they will believe. Mm -hmm. And they will believe on the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And that fountain is going to be opened which to is, them. It says specifically to them. Which is the day the Lord is referring to. When they believe. In, at the Last Supper when he says, and that day when I drink it new with you. I believe that is the day. Okay. Because, now there are other waters. Zechariah 14.8 talks about living waters that shall go up from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. Mm -hmm. That's a different fountain that's going to open than it's in Zechariah 13.1. So when he says, I will not drink it again until I drink it with you, mm -hmm. I think he's speaking to the nation of Israel. Yep. Yeah that I'm going to drink it with you in my kingdom, I believe that is the day right there that it's referring to. Okay, good. I just wanted to, I wanted to clear, make that more clear in my mind, so that's sure. good. And I'm not <laughs> saying that that's... I'm not saying amen and forevermore, that's the right answer. Well, I then I'm like, the I mean, if we're, if we're like, you know, because my brain's like going boom, 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 boom. So, because Christ says, unless you eat my flesh and mm -hmm. drink my blood, right? He, he teaches that as well. Later, I think it's in John chapter six. And what does the blood that. and the body signify? Sure. It's his death. Sure. Until right. you believe on me. Right. Right. And so this Zechariah 13 1 is Israel believing. Mm -hmm. Okay. They've believed, individual Jews have believed, 3,000 believed at Pentecost. Sure. But as a nation, they right. have not They've believed. Not, right. It's right. a national repentance. Yep. That he is looking for. I don't mean to distract you from no, the no, line. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I that's what I believe that that means. Um, I don't know how we're doing on time. We're we doing are great. Under a little bit of a time restraint today, but um, going back to John two, why don't we just wrap this up? Um, we here's the three C's that I had. Okay. Wow, I'm having trouble finding John. They've moved it in my Bible here. Hold on. Turning back to John chapter number two, the first C is context. What is the context of this miracle? Well, the context we know by the reference to mine hour is the death of Christ. So whatever this miracle is, it's somehow going to teach us of the death of Christ. Mm -hmm. Content. What are some factors here we need to understand? What did God use? He used their water pots. These were specific water pots. Notice he didn't ask for the vessels that the previous wine was stored in. He, he asks not only for water pots, but for specific ones, not ones for drinking, ones for washing. And so what is the conclusion? Verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. 
Did they believe on him simply because he turned one liquid into another? This is the first public teaching of the new birth. He took their water pots, which they use for their ceremonial cleansing, and he filled it with new wine, which symbolizes his death. Mm-hmm. And the, according to Hebrews 9, um, the death of the testator is what brings in the New Testament. So I believe this miracle is the first public teaching of the kingdom of God, which is the offering of the new birth. And it's far more than what it's being taught as. Hmm. That's great. Any comments from you? Any additions? I mean, sarcastic comments. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> In the same chapter, he goes into the temple, right? And, and with a scourge of cords, um, scourge of small cords, and he drives out all of them in the temple that are, they've turned the temple into a house of merchandise, right? So you almost wonder like if, if chapter two overall, Jesus is turning on its head the Jews, uh, the, the Jews tradition as the Jews religion, as they had turned it into the tradition of mm. men. So he takes the very thing that they hold as super sacred, you know, these, these, ceremonial wash pots, right? And 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 I don't think it's wrong to say that he was deliberate in not making his disciples wash their hands with their water pots, right? It wasn't an oversight. Right. It was uh don't do this, right? Because because he's demonstrating uh the emptiness or the ineffectualness, if that's a word. The insufficiency. The insufficiency. insufficiency. There you go. The insufficiency of the ceremonial cleansing and the need for the shedding of blood for the, for the new birth. And I just think it's, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. picture. Man's efforts hey, are insufficient. Do we know it. Romans, yeah. all have sinned and come short. short. Yeah. We've done I, what we can, but you're not going to make it. I, and there's, go ahead. I can't prove this. It goes from this to the purifying of the temple and then speaking to Nicodemus. Where Nicodemus was at least inquisitive, questioning, Mm -hmm. was he at the marriage? I can't say whether he was or he wasn't. Or in the temple. Or was he in the temple (laughs) to view these things? Well, he was a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. He was a so, ruler, the Bible says. A ruler of the a Pharisees. A ruler of the Jews, That's right. the Bible says. So was he at this marriage? Was this a significant marriage? I, I don't know. But obviously, the topic of discussion was this new birth. Mm-hmm. This was the topic of discussion immediately in chapter 3. Mm-hmm. So it would not shock me that he was at this marriage and saw what Jesus did, mm-hmm. or that he was at the temple mm-hmm. and saw what Jesus did. And so he is coming questioning this new birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the point that I made in the last podcast, and it brought up some questions, so I thought it'd be good to do a, bro- a podcast on it, is that this this miracle in John 2 is far more significant than yeah. we give it credit for. That's right. And I do believe it is the first teaching of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. even though the term kingdom of God is not mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's exactly what he is teaching unto Nicodemus in chapter 3. Yeah. So I think helicopter view, because eventually we're going to get to 
you know, some of the one of the listener questions is just studying the Bible. Yeah, you know, how do you start? In order to to come to this conclusion or this understanding, you're starting with fundamental principles of interpretation that are Bible based. Correct. You're not starting with with um, uh, a, a man made system of interpretation. You're going to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, right? And that's how which you is come. the teaching of Christ. Which have is you not read in the scriptures, right? Uh, right. As it is written. Yep. You know. And Paul said, comparing spiritual things with, with spiritual, spiritual things, things, you know, right. search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. So, you know, when when a listener hears something like this and think, man, I've, I've never considered that before or heard that before, I think we would we would certainly challenge you to search the scriptures, study, right. study these things out. Uh, don't take our word for Compare it. Compare them, put them together. Sure. Yeah. Right. And... Um, and it takes its toil in much study. I think Ecclesiastes says, Ecclesiastes 12, much study is a weariness of the flesh, but we have to study to show ourselves approved unto God. So it's good. It's good study. Well, wonderful. I think we're going to wrap this one up at this time. And thank you once again for joining us at Backwoods Theology. If you have... Uh, asked questions, and we still have other questions that we would like to answer in future podcasts. Uh, understandably, sometimes it might take us more than one episode to answer one question. Yeah, so right. when we get multiple questions, it takes a little bit of time to go through that. So if you have not yet heard your question answered, please stay tuned, because we are really are striving to get through these, and we are thankful that you are joining us. But until now, we will join you once again at a future podcast. Continue to study your Word, uh, study the Word of God, and it is going to become your best friend as you study it. So God bless you, and goodbye for now from Backwoods Theology.